Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. Sorry, I didn't know how to hold this massive glass of scotch. I poured I was it like, a little deep. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was like, I can't fully clink because I'm going to end up with scotch all over my pants. <laughs> Old scotch pants Italiano. That's what they'll call me. Who? Welcome, Welcome to, to Gremlins. Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a delightful start. I had a good time in this movie. Yeah, it's it's really a, a unique movie, that's for sure. <laughs> Say that. You know, one of the earliest horror comedies that influenced the genre in a very it big way. It was like mostly comedy. It was just all of the gremlins up to no good. Yeah, let's take a listen to the trailer. Let's do it. Billy Pelser has a nice home, a nice girl, and loving parents who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. We'll wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift... <laughs> He ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. Yes! They become clever, <laughs> mischievous, and dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Gremlins. Oh, man. What was that That old-timey, like, vaudeville music? Like, do, 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 do. I love it. Holy smokes. I really enjoyed that in the trailer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. 1984, very good year. Very yeah, good written year. by Chris Columbus, who also wrote The Goonies, but also directed Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire, as well as a ton of other stuff. Right. He never ceases to amaze. Yep. But the director was Joe Dante, who did Piranha, which we have done, oh. Inner Space, and as we mentioned in that Piranha episode, The Burbs. <laughs> the Burbs. The starring Burbs. Starring T. Hanks. Yep. Wow, a lot of Universal Studios backlot in this movie, eh? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because it's not. It takes place in the winter, but it's clearly shot in L.A. with like fake snow. Yeah, totally. Just like getting in the actor's eyes, you're like, that snow's never melted in your beautiful hair there. Okay, a couple of things to note, because Steven Spielberg produced this, yes? Mm-hmm. So uh, on seeing the first cut, one of the studio notes was that there were too many gremlins in the movie. Just <laughs> too, ma- too many of them. <laughs> and so Spielberg suggested cutting them all out and calling the film People. Because <laughs> he's a clever guy. He's a snark. Uh, is this what you want me to do, you yeah. motherfucking oh, you ex- network executives? People. But also, yeah, really? Too many gremlins in the movie called Gremlins? Yeah. Oh, boy. It's called Jaws. Does it have right. teeth? 
Nah. There's too many teeth in the movie. Yeah, too many teeth. When the movie was made, there was obviously no CGI, so the animatronics for the gremlins cost between $30,000 to $40,000. So, like, when everybody would Whoa. leave the lot for the day, the security would have everybody open up the trunks of their cars to make sure that they weren't smuggling gremlins. <laughs> oh, my God. What were they going to sell a gremlin for? No. Like, I get that it And, costs like, there'd a lot, be no but... paper trail back to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just shows up. I don't know, but 30 Gs for one of the little fucking animatronic gremlins? Well, I had read that, like, an earlier attempt used monkeys. Yeah, spider monkeys. Yeah, and then they abandoned it because the test monkey panicked when it was made to wear the gremlin head. Well, yeah! Of course! Oh, my God! Not only is it, like, heavy and dark, it probably stinks like latex inside. <laughs> Just terrible. Monkey doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah, the monkey went all crazy, and then Joe Dante was like, so puppets? <laughs> <laughs> so $30,000 puppets? Yeah, much better. Much better choice. So this movie was PG, but yeah. because of the response to this and Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, which mm-hmm. came out the same year, Spielberg suggested to the MPAA that they change their rating system, and very quickly they created PG-13 right after this movie. Aha. Uh-huh. And then the first PG-13 movie was Red Dawn, which I think should have been rated R. There's a lot of riddling with bullets <laughs> happening in that movie. Yeah. Ooh, we should do Red Dawn at some point. Definitely. Side note, hold us accountable, guys. Yes, please do. So this the term gremlin was originally coined, what, in the 20s? You'll, you'll get into, like, the deep history. Yeah, right? I'm going to talk about the gremlins and the machine. Yeah, totally. But the term was popularized by Roald Dahl because he had this story oh. called Gremlin Lore, and it was about these mischievous, fictitious elves that were said to cause unexplained damage to uh, Royal Air Force planes. Mm. And incidentally, the story was commissioned by Walt Disney, but was never made. Huh. Could you imagine, like, an animated... Gremlin? Gremlin I could see movie? that. Yeah, I could totally Total. see that. I was like, could you see? Yes. You yeah, could. Can you imagine? Could you ever imagine it? Absolutely. It's, it's as imaginable as, you know, some like fuck face gremlins that are just boozing all day. Yeah. <laughs> just causing yeah. ruckus. Everybody's going to the bar. <laughs> well, Howie Mandel was the voice of Gizmo. That's right. And which blew my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the gremlins are voiced by a few different people, but mostly by Michael Winslow. From the Police Academy movies, Michael he was Winslow. the dude okay. who could make all the noises, like the. Right. I right, mean, right. I can't make them right now, yeah. but. <laughs> and I like the idea. It's like kind of like to do that on an audio podcast. To like, like if we were to play a clip of him doing his thing, it would just sound like machines. <laughs> Like, right. without seeing his mouth exactly. doing it, it kind of misses that's a That's kind of the of, wonder of it, being yeah, like, but yeah. that's coming out of you. So that's how I feel about beatboxing. Because yeah. over the radio, it just sounds like a regular beatbox. <laughs> is that what those are called? Drum bass? I don't know. <laughs> you know, a regular old physical beatbox. Yes. Oh, boy. So humans have a long tradition of attributing hard-to-explain events to non-human causes. No, No, we've never done it. (laughs) So one of the things that definitely falls into that category is gremlins, which are mythical creatures that are believed to live around tools and inside machines. Mm -hmm. And they like to tamper with that machinery, especially aircraft. Okay, all right. Because that's where it mostly originates from like pilots being like, why is everything going haywire Mm -hmm. after World War I and into World War II? And I feel like the term is kind of related to Murphy's Law in a way, Hmm. where it's like, it's the... What gets blamed when things go wrong? These days, people tend to, if their cell phone is going on the fritz, they say it's because Mercury is in retrograde. Yeah. That's, we do this all the time. <laughs> that's the modern one. Yeah. Like, many of my yoga classes have been like, 
you guys feel Mercury? Yeah. The, at the intro, I love these classes, but it's always, I'm like, I don't, is it Mercury? Everybody or dealing just... with the retrograde? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the name comes from the old English word grimane, which means to vex or annoy. Mm -hmm. The original description was of tiny humans with elf-like ears and yellow eyes wearing miniature overalls and carrying tools sized for them, but can still be used as though they were the right size. That is outrageously specific. I know. They were like, they were more like, uh, like, like garden gnome right. looking Like dudes. garden gnomes dressed like Mario and Luigi. <laughs> yep. With giant tools. <laughs> with, well, no, it was miniature no. tools that couldn't work on any machine. So like, it's okay. like if they don't so have the can, right size screwdriver, it'll still doesn't work. Doesn't matter. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't make any logical sense, Jeff. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> So in 1923, a British pilot crashed his plane into the ocean and then later reported that the accident was caused by tiny creatures which had followed him on board his plane and proceeded to fuck with the engine, messing with the flight controls, and ultimately causing the crash. His story quickly spread, and by World War II, it was common to complain of being harassed by similar troll-like creatures who understand the intricacies of the machines. So pilots were just like... Oh, that's that's definitely the explanation for why shit gets wonky. Isn't it amazing? We can neither take responsibility, you know, right. just like be accountable for the fact <laughs> that maybe there's something you don't know, but then also like need there to be an explanation that, that doesn't even seem logical. Right. Like there is a logical explanation for why gears don't work or whatever, right? Right. But it's like, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's a fun thing where it's like they were said to suck gas out of tanks through hoses. They would jam radio frequencies. They would mess with the landing gear. They would cut wires, remove bolts or screws, mess with dials, switches, that kind of thing. And they thought like literally little Little Some dudes? people really believed this. Some of it too, maybe due to like weird drugs that were going around at the time, like <laughs> okay, stimulants, like uh, that pilots were taking that may have like oh, also man. included hallucinations and stuff, or like crazy long, like the number of things. Sleep deprivation. Yeah, and then there's just like I crashed my thing. It was the gremlins. Oh, yeah. It wasn't me. I don't want me. them to know that I have a flask that I've been exactly. drinking out of. Yeah, like <laughs> well, I'll say there were a number of years that I believed that there was some kind of sock gnome that was always taking my... <laughs> I'd be like, where do all yeah. my spare socks go? The underpants gnomes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. They'd be like, I know that I put the exact amount of uh -huh. pairs of socks into the washer and dryer, but they're not on the way out. Yeah. So there had to have been some kind of... Of course, gnome they're like tiny little gnomes. It, yeah. They have to be little things. <laughs> yeah. Well, they get in that machine, and yeah. I don't know. That's why I didn't see them, because they're so tiny. Yeah. But the reason that we still talk about it today is, like, after World War II, soldiers brought the concept home with them, and now it's blamed for everything from, like, the water in your shower suddenly turning cold or your toast getting burnt. Well, stuff today, like that. do people still say that gremlins are in the pipes? Yeah. Well, the older people. Oh, okay. The old blue <laughs> yeah. hairs. I get it. Because <laughs> the people who, of our age, I think, like, think of gremlins as the weird creatures from the movie. Right. And, like, even though in the movie they're portrayed as being, like, mischievous machine pranksters, yeah. I don't think that we really think of them that way. No, we think about them as booze hounds. As just like booze the, hounds. I mean, honestly, I started tracking. I, I wish I would have tracked the exact amount of minutes that I was like, it is just them drinking copious amounts of booze because that's like, it was funny to see there these like, little creatures it. being like, Wah! And then they like get on the fan and like they're, woo, woo, woo. Just like, Wah! frat house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they go on the there had to have been a record spinning scene right did somebody I, jump onto a record a, i thought it was a fan like a ceiling right, fan but okay. maybe it could have easily like been a somebody record somebody was spinning around easily could have been a record it <laughs> might have actually been a record but it makes sense there were so many parties happening <laughs> fuck so there was a british ditty 
that I found from World War II era. A ditty, you say? Yes, a ditty. So, first of all, just for your information, Spitfires and Mosquitoes were types of planes, and the PRU, or PRU, was a unit that had experienced the Gremlins. Okay, okay PRU. So, this is the tale of the Gremlins as told by the PRU at Benson and Wick in St. Eval, and believe me, you slobs, it's true. Oh. When you're seven miles up in the heavens, that's a hell of a lonely spot. And it's 50 degrees below zero, which isn't exactly hot. Not at all. Thank you. <laughs> when you're frozen blue like your Spitfire and you're scared of mosquito pink. When you're thousands of miles from nowhere and there's nothing below but the drink. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. then that you'll see the gremlins, green and gamboge and gold, male and female and neuter, gremlins both young and old. It's no good trying to dodge them. The lessons you learnt on the link won't help you evade a gremlin, though you boost and you dive and you jink. <laughs> White ones will wiggle your wingtips. Male ones will muddle your maps. Green ones will guzzle your glycol. Females will flutter your flaps. Pink ones will perch on your perspex and dance pirouettes on your prop. There's a spherical middle-aged gremlin who will spin on your stick like a top. Oh, God. They'll freeze up your crammer shutters. They'll bite through your aileron wires. I don't know what those are. They'll bend and they'll break and they'll batter. They'll insert toasting forks into your tires. I blew that one. (laughs) Um, And that is the tale of the gremlins, as told by the PRU. Pretty ruddy, unlikely to many, but a fact nonetheless to a few. (sighs) Wow. I mean, I'm picturing this gremlin family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess this was like posted around at like air bases, like on the walls and stuff. Again, I'm going to go back to there's nothing below but the drink. I was like, I feel like there was a lot of drinking happening. Oh, yeah, there must have been nothing <laughs> yeah. below, but you know what and then we're it's trying just, to like say. It's just you being like, oh, yeah, the gremlins, <laughs> they're all around me. Holy, holy guacamole. And that is the history of the gremlin. <laughs> it's like one of the most new monsters in like lore history. <laughs> right. It's like a 20th century monster. The grave monster. history to the 20s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So one of the big things about the gremlins in this film is that they sing, right? They mm-hmm. sing beautiful songs. What's the purpose of that, do you recall? For fun. Right. It just <laughs> adds to their humanity, right? Their humanity, their mischievousness. Yeah. Like, nobody likes hearing somebody sing at night. Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know where, why it's such a thing. Shut up, you gremlins. <laughs> anyway, so I was looking into other animals that sing. So biologists define song in the animal kingdom as a sound made by an animal during its breeding season to attract a mate and or defend a territory. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fucking cool. I mean, that's the best definition of human songs I've ever heard. Yeah. So... <laughs> Totally. You swoon to somebody like, hey, come fly It's always. It's come, fly Fly away. because you want to go to the bone zone. We get it. Yeah, I mean, we're <laughs> constantly in heat. We are in a, a perpetual state of, what, yeah. what, what, what the fuck is it? The mating season? Yeah, yeah. What, what's it called? When yeah. people are mating all the time? <laughs> well, up until this point, only human songbirds, parrots, and hummingbirds have been thought capable of vocal learning. But it turns out... Whether it's vocal learning or not, there's there's plenty of other species that actually do sing. So let's start with the Pacific Chorus Frog, also called the Pacific Tree Frog. These guys live along the West Coast from Canada through Mexico, and they sing to attract mates, but they also can sing about the weather and to mark their territory and that sort of thing. They They're, sing about the weather? Yeah, I don't know if it's about, like, it's a beautiful day, <laughs> yeah. or if, if the maybe they're... Or if, they, if <laughs> or perhaps they're singing changes based on the weather? 
I'm not sure. That, okay. We'll follow up on that. Yeah, yeah. But their croaking sounds and songs are often featured in movies. I'm thinking the fucking Budweiser's, right? Bud. These guys are singing. Yeah. It is a vocalization of sorts, right? Yeah, totally. Then we move on. Also pretty simplistic in, in its singing is the toadfish. Now, the male toadfish's song is described as a hum, and it's used to lure females to his nest. It's not as complex as what you hear mammals and birds doing, but, you know, the part of the nervous system that generates sounds are easiest to study in these fish, I, probably because it's so, you know, it's so simplistic. Hmm. So this is a toadfish. Are those fart vocalizations? I mean, it's the fart hums of the toadfish. <laughs> episode title yeah <laughs> okay let's move on to mice now yeah. this is a big one too because the gremlins the movie was based on when chris columbus the writer was living in the nyu dorms and he was living in a loft in manhattan's garment district and according to him he said by day it was pleasant enough but at night what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and to hear them skittering around in the blackness was really creepy so i wanted to think about mice in general i'm going to talk about the crazy New York City mice epidemic later. Mm. But it was interesting to hear that mice also sing. And they are apparently also able to learn vocalizations from hearing other mice, which is fucking nuts. So yeah, the new Public Library of Science study looked at the ultrasonic sounds that male mice make when they're wooing a female. And they found that the mice's vocalizations contain some features similar to those of birds who are able to learn songs. Now, up until this point, it had been assumed that mice lack the brain structures for learning to change the sounds they make and that they produce the sounds just you know, naturally with their little squeaks. Okay. But researchers found that at cer like a certain region of a mouse's brain, the motor cortex region actually becomes active when they sing. So this is a singing mouse. I like the sexy music <laughs> yeah, in the background. The beat that they're giving yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So similarly, there's the male Mexican free-tailed bats. And researchers from Texas A&M, they listened to hundreds of hours of bat songs, and they determined that Mexican free-tailed bats, they sing specific songs for females. So they're like romantic songs versus the, the sounds that they make to like warn other males off. Wow. So yeah. it ain't over until the bat lady sings? I'm just going to leave a, You're welcome a, moment, to the world. <laughs> a moment of silence for... <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen to this. I'm not sure if this is a sexy song or if this is a worn off song. Let's let's decide together, shall we? Ooh. Oh, it's getting a little I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Is it what are the two options? Wanting to bone zone or wanting to warn males off. Oh. Because at first it sounds like smooth like did it go up because it kind of like it yeah. continuously speeds but yeah. maybe it's like the devil's tone it, it sounded a little warny when it when it started getting like yeah Aah! so I but don't maybe know. that was a horny instead oh. of warning <laughs> walked right into that <laughs> okay let's get into the last three i have are whales now i knew i'd like heard through the grapevine that whales make sounds yeah but it star was trek four <laughs> it's such a weird story where right. they get like these space whales and they have to like teleport whales from earth they have to like go back in time to get whales because like the whales okay, are okay, extinct okay. alright <laughs> um, let's start with humpback whales so these guys are known to sing primarily to attract mates but recent research suggests that they also seem to communicate locations what's crazy is 
I don't know how, so let me just put that out there. They know that whales also employ grammar and syntax in their songs. So this tells me that people have been listening to some fucking humpback whale songs yeah. for a while to be able to determine this. Let's to see take like a mathematical listen. progressions and stuff that are common. Yeah, yeah, That's like cool. speech patterns, I guess you would say. Let's listen to this. Sounds a little bit like the T-1000. That's always my point of reference. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the old humpback whales. Yeah, cool, right? Very cool. Very oh, beautiful. Very yeah. haunting. So the then there's the killer whales or the orcas. Now, these guys are the largest members of the dolphin family, which I always have to remind myself of because I'm always like, they're yeah, they're whales. I don't associate them with dolphins, but yeah. So they use one of the most sophisticated ultrasonic sound systems as a way of communication. Not only do they have regional dialects, which produce slight variations in sound depending on their geographic distribution, but each animal has two distinct call signs. So this advanced ability to communicate is most likely because they're extremely social animals that, you know, they travel in pods of up to, you know, from like 30 to 150 orcas at a time. So let's listen to those guys. These are whales? Yeah. Wow. Orcas. Free Willy style. Wow. Not big Willy style, free Willy style. (laughs) (laughs) Big difference. Yeah. (laughs) Equally awesome, though, guys. I'm not trying to, you know, it's not a pissing contest for those guys. Free Willennium is a little (laughs) different. <laughs> yeah, so isn't that cool? Because I've heard I've heard dolphins make sounds before, yeah. and that sounds very dolphiny. It is very dolphiny. It's also interesting that like the genes that make a bird good at singing is that the best selection. What if it's just a really good singer, but it's got like it's dumb? Yeah, it's really bad, bad personality. <laughs> like, dead I don't behind know. the eyes. Okay, so let's round all this out with beluga whales. Now, these are referred to often as the canaries of the sea because of the bird-like sounds that they make. So they have this repertoire of chirps, squeaks, and clips. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know what clips is. Is that a bird sound reference? Maybe it's a clip that you have of their tweets. Total eclipse of the heart. Everything sounds like a fart to me. (laughs) Get your mind out of the gutter, Jeff. My head out of my ass. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. As you were saying before, it just solidifies the fact that just because we don't understand it uh-huh. does not mean that they don't have language, that they don't have songs, yeah. that they don't want to, you know, lay each other down by the fire and make sweet, sweet love. <laughs> they all want that. <laughs> <laughs> So you drop some water on a gremlin and a new gremlin pops out. Oh, right. And I wanted to look into asexual reproduction in like multicellular organisms Mm -hmm. because we all know that like a single celled organism is going to reproduce by dividing in half. It's kind of a cloning type of thing. Mm -hmm. And we have cell division ourselves. We just do it after sex happens, you know, like sex has to happen. It happens. And then the egg fertilized egg will start actually dividing. So it's it's all related. But there's a bunch of different types of asexual reproduction, and I'm focusing on a type that's called fragmentation. Mm -hmm. Fragmentation is where a new organism grows from a fragment of the parent. Okay. So each fragment develops into a mature, fully grown individual. And examples of this include planarians, which is a type of flatworm, annelid worms, and starfish. Mm -hmm. 
starfish reproduce this way. Right, okay. A bunch of plants and fungi, too. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, as I mentioned, this is a type of cloning because each fragment is essentially a genetic clone of the original. Right. Because of this, organisms that reproduce this way are really vulnerable to a quickly changing environment. There's no, like, genetic diversity to if something new is introduced to their environment. Right, there's no actual evolution within that organism. Exactly. Or there's very little of it. I think that it can happen, like, little mutations can happen during the cloning process, Mm -hmm. but... Very little compared to sexual reproduction. Okay. So I mentioned planarians, which is a crazy type of flatworm. I decided to look into the myth of can you cut a worm in half and have two worms? Mm. Now, most earthworms can regrow their tails if the tail is cut off, but the tail cannot regrow a head. Okay. So if you cut... So how do you know which side is which? Well, hopefully you would know which side is the head. You would cut it. This is like, this is a terrible thing to do to a worm. Of course. But the point is... It can reproduce its tail, whereas the tail cannot grow into its own full organism. <laughs> I was mostly just saying you're like, you you would hope that you would know. I'm like, I've never known which side is which on an earthworm. <laughs> I'm like, it's always just squiggling about. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. It's hard to tell. Like, It's a one-track digestive system. Right. It's a mouth and a poop. Right, so, so just which look out for which. poops. <laughs> yeah, which... And then it's the opposite. That's yeah, the head. Okay. That's the head. <laughs> But so with the planarian flatworm, it can reform its entire body from slivers of itself just one three hundredth of the original body size. Okay. So if you cut a flatworm in half, it can reform its entire body from both sides. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And somehow, apparently, when it regrows its head after decapitation, it somehow keeps all of its old memories. And I don't know how they measured that. Yeah, and I didn't know flatworms had memories. Yeah, I know. But that was done in a study that was published in 2013, which all sounded legitimate. But sure. I have I no, didn't look into I mean, like I, the methodology of the study. Obviously, there's like science involved. And they probably like ran tests of certain patterns or behaviors mm-hmm. that yeah. the, the flatworm did. Yeah. So cutting an earthworm in two will not create two worms, but cutting a flatworm in two will. I need to see what a fucking flatworm looks like at yeah. some point. As I dip my toe into this research, (laughs) I realize that there's so many interesting things about them. I'm going to revisit it. But just as like a tidbit teaser. Yeah, you'll tidbit teaser. (laughs) Apparently, flatworms both reproduce asexually and sexually. Oh my God, they go both ways. And the sexual ones are hermaphrodites. Ah, so many ways. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, if you cut their head in two lengthwise, like if you cut it down its head but yeah. don't sever it from the body, right. the thing can turn those two head fragments into two full heads. I just too much going on with this flatworm. <laughs> A lot going on. Wow. There's so much more. I'll take it on in the future. Maybe we could do the movie Evolution with David Duchovny and Stifler from American Pie. My, my, my. You that, have it's <laughs> all an about, audacious claim. <laughs> it's all about flatworms and, and shit like that and evolution. <laughs> I completely forgot that that movie existed. I, everybody I, did. Everybody did. Everybody forgot that. We're going to unearth it again, you guys. Yeah, oh it's going to evolve. Duchovny and Stifler. Holy and Dan Ackerman. Everybody's in, in it. that, I, right? Orlando Jones. I fucking loved that Jones? movie when it came oh, back. Oh, makes it up out. yours. I'm afraid to watch it as an adult because I like loved it as a middle schooler, but yeah. we'll, we'll see how it holds Generally up. Generally speaking, the things that I was like all about in middle school, I'm kind of like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> exactly. Aye, aye, aye. But maybe we'll learn more about the flatworm in that episode. Perfect. Science. 
So guys, as I was saying before, Gremlins was based on Chris Columbus's crazy experience living in a New York City loft, right? right. <laughs> and the mice just overcoming. He referred to them as a platoon of mice, yeah. which sounds terrifying. Yeah, but, if you're you know. laying in bed and you just hear skitter, skitter, skitter. Yeah, skitter. Like every night you're like, oh God, what, yeah, are they terrifying. about to jump on me? What? And I mean, I lived in New York City for a few years and I, I never had any mice issues, but you know, definitely had some fucking silverfish problems, that's for sure. Silverfish problems? Yeah, you know, yeah. You know silverfish, right? What are silverfish again? Oh, man. They look like fucking, they like want to be centipedes, but they have these little like flurry, feathery little oh, legs that just like move things. a mile a minute. Yeah, man. Oh, mm. God. We don't have those. I've never seen one of those in Colorado where I'm from. And so when I went there, I was like, ah, hee hoo. They're, They're everywhere. devil bugs. Anyway, <laughs> mice in New York City. It's yeah. a big problem. It's been a number of years since I've been in New York, but you know, I've seen these videos footage of pizza rat just fucking dragging a full pizza slice <laughs> they're getting bigger and bigger they're like jumping into strollers and shit and just it's like taking candy from a baby they're literally very bold yeah very audacious bold motherfuckers get on that subway train just trying to go to work yeah but you know considering a lot of times on this show we've talked about how you know rats are the source of the bubonic plague and such i was right. kind of like how big of an issue is this what's the deal with rats how many are how many mice are in new york city i'm you know i'm overlapping rats and mice here but Let's talk about the rat problem in New York City specifically. Right. No one knows exactly how many rats live in New York, but legend has it that there's a rat in New York City for every person, which means more than <laughs> 8 million in total. That's the legend. I'm actually surprised it's so few. Yeah. I would have thought there would be more than one rat per person. Well, and incidentally, like I said, that's just a legend because Ooh. the most recent popular estimate put the population at around 2 million. So in 2014, there's the statistician Jonathan Auerbach, and he calculated this, this estimate by checking rat sightings in city lots at two separate times and estimating the number of colonies in each lot. Already I'm like, this seems a little bit... Like Taking just, not, not like, the best well, data. Based on these two spots, I'm just doing some estimates, whatever. Mm -hmm. In the 842,000 lots in New York, rats were reported in approximately 40,500, so about 5%. So if there was a colony of 40 to 50 rats in each, that would put the total at approximately 2 million of the creatures, plus or minus 150,000. This doesn't count the potential colonies that live underneath the city. I think okay. another, yeah. Okay. It's also like at different times of the year, the population spike or plummet right. like they they're particularly high when these you know pups are born and weaned in the springtime and uh, then like late summer and autumn and stuff yeah i but, would have thought that it would be a lot more but you're saying we outnumber them yeah <laughs> we're, again we're we're parasites we can right? win yeah we can win <laughs> the biggest complication in trying to estimate this is how to account for the high mortality rate among rats too it's mm. like it's obviously it's complicated you'd have to like trap some rats track them release them see right. what, that kind of thing I, who wants to do that it's gross <laughs> <laughs> so one of the biggest questions about rats is how their populations change over time so like if new rats are jumping off of ships trains even airplanes this could transform local rat populations now those rats could likely bring these like zoonotic d diseases that we've talked about those are diseases that come from animals this is also considered one of the the greatest threats for a huge pandemic be, you know because mm. of all these new viruses and shit that are created from animals and they can still latch onto those rats yeah the delivery device is still around that's totally right now a team of researchers from fordham university they conducted a study that did confirm that once a population is established it doesn't seem to change very much they found that rodents seem to have created these communities that tend to stick to their own location and they don't like to mix too much with other communities hmm. so like uptown rats are fairly different from downtown rats for oh, example oh shit yeah it's like uptown country mouse city rats. yeah 
You be living, living in, in your, your uptown, uptown world. Ai, <laughs> <laughs> Chihuahua. So, like, you know, how much this mirrors our human life, too. It's migrant migrant rats may not be accepted into established colonies, which would oh. limit mating opportunities. I mean, it doesn't preclude mating opportunities, but it would at least, you know, limit it. Now, how do and they feel about it if a rat wants to go off and be a chef? <laughs> Are they pro? <laughs> Pro that? I knew there was going to be a ratatouille <laughs> yeah, moment I, we here. Couldn't get out of it. <laughs> couldn't get out of it without one. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's good to establish that many of these rat populations might not necessarily change, mm-hmm. but like this new influx of rats to, to new ports, like the ports in Brooklyn or Staten Island or whatever, mm-hmm. these new rats that are carrying new diseases, they might have more luck gaining a foothold. So this is actually causing problems for people, uh-huh. right? Like not only just the mental agony of of hearing the mice and the rats at night it's also you know it's fucking gross these the, the rats toil in our waste right. that's another thing to to point out is like they are referred to as our mirror species because it's like rats live where we live right. so you know it's like there's an overpopulation of rat problem you're like cuz there's an overpopulation right. of people problem motherfucker well we also produce a bunch of stuff that we don't want that of course a living being would just make their whole species out of how much do we just like throw away just like just full foods that are uh, yeah that's a good that's a great point i was thinking our shit oh like our actual like we have this (laughs) our duty like but food too like there's just tons of excess waste that winds up being like on the outside of our society right that of course there's a whole species of course exploiting yeah So New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio recently announced this like $32 million plan that with, you know, incorporating several city agencies to try to reduce the the population. So it's focusing on specific areas that I guess have been running out of control. But apparently like Grand Concourse area in the Bronx, Chinatown, East Village, Lower East Side, and then like Bushwick and Bedford-Stuyvesant and stuff. So the goal of this plan is to try to reduce rat activity in these zones by like 70%. Mm. So the the city wants to purchase these like solar compactors that restrict access to trash cans, like with a mailbox kind of entrance. Because, you know, these wire baskets that basically do they really (laughs) keep the food source away from the rat? No. So it's like simple shit like that, like replacing the wire cans with these new solar compactor cans with the the mailbox entry. They'll also want to spend a bunch of money on like replacing placing dirt basement floors with concrete rat pads. Mm. So like the cementing of basements uh, along with unfortunately exterminations and cleanouts and stuff mm-hmm. has been shown to reduce work orders related to rats by 40%. So it's like just putting all of these things in in place, like, you know, getting rid of garbage by 4 a.m., not allowing Mm -hmm. the organic shit that people just throw onto the curb to stay there for Mm -hmm. a certain amount of time, you know, an increase in inspections and that kind of thing. So it's those are very practical ways to start curbing this. Yeah, (laughs) it seems like a no brainer, right? It's just you actually have to put your money where your mouth is and like allocate that time. Now, one thing I thought was a little bit odd is they want to add eight staff to the anti-rat team. So they'll have seven frontline staff. I don't know what the fuck that means, frontline. And then, like, one sophisticated data, data scientist to allow them to, like, conduct this, like, data-driven... So it's, like, seven people to go out in the field and, like, put and, like, the trash cans this. in yeah. the right place or in something. In a city and- like New York, you're, like, seven, seven of those folks and then one guy who's, like, you know, crunching the numbers yeah. and shit. <laughs> but overall, I was, like... The Blasio, you did a good thing. Yeah. Did you see if there were anything about like things that stop them from being able to reproduce but don't actually kill the ones that are alive or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, because it's gotten so extreme, they're not like anti-extermination, but Mm. it's just 
it seems like they're just trying to limit these rat populations. So yeah. if they have their access limited to food, if they have their access limited to, mm. you know, shelter, yeah. that's going to decrease the rat population. So it seems like a good way to like solve the problem from the ground up. Boy, but it's I hope like, we don't use those same methods on humans. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but... Restrict their access to food and shelter. Exactly. <laughs> but, but seriously, we need to consider, it's yeah. like they... They are here because we are here. If we want to like live in a clean place, like we have to cut down on our waste. Otherwise, yeah. there's a million other organisms that like feast off of our poop. And yeah, food. it's not like we're coming in and like destroying an ecology that has been untouched by man. It's like no. entirely built around us. They are, yeah, yeah. They are us. <laughs> we are the rats. <laughs> the rats are us. So in the movie, the dad is an inventor. And he has many stupid inventions that don't really work. Although some of them were kind of like just ahead of their time. Like at one point he's inventing a shuffle machine, which for cards, right? Yeah, for like yeah. cards. And like every casino in Vegas now has like tons of oh, shuffle yeah. machines. So and God, that's happened over the last ten years. So much. What's it called when your hands are all fucked up? Oh, Arthritis? carpal tunnel. Oh yeah. Yeah, like repetitive stress injuries are being reduced for the dealers for not having to shuffle and stuff like totally. that. So it's like. He was building a thing that, yeah, he didn't get it to work right, but, like, totally a good invention. <laughs> but anyway, one of his main things is called the bathroom buddy, which is basically a Swiss army knife for the bathroom. Mm. You get a toothbrush and a razor and a comb, everything you oh, need. Oh, okay, gotcha, you gotcha, know, And he's got, like, toothpaste in there, though, but it doesn't work. It squirts all over his face. Right, you know. of course. But I looked into the Swiss army knife mm -hmm. and the history of it. And the idea came around in the 1880s when the Swiss Army decided that their soldiers needed a simple portable tool that they can use to repair their guns, open canned food, and generally cut stuff. Smart as fuck. Very smart. The world really didn't take notice until the 40s with World War II, where it like spread to America and we were like, these things. Oh, yeah, dude. The Swiss Army, which is famously neutral, is still a fairly right, large totally. <laughs> army. <laughs> yeah, it's like for being neutral, it's a pretty large army. Because I'm Swiss. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they make all young men serve at least 260 days in military service. Mm -hmm. But anybody who objects to that can choose 390 days of civil service instead. Ah, okay. Which I think is an awesome idea. At least you have a choice, yeah. And then apparently soldiers in the Swiss Army can request to not use guns. But they're always given Swiss Army knives because that's not even considered a weapon. Right. I was going to say, I was like, those are fucking short-ass knives, man. Right, exactly. Since the early 1900s, there were two companies producing the knives. But after 9-11, oh. which obviously made it a lot harder to take them on planes, the industry lost more than 40% of their business. Oh. And it destroyed one of the companies to the point that in 2005, they consolidated and there's now only one manufacturer of Swiss Army knives. One? Mm -hmm. But so, like, the most modern Swiss Army knives have, like, USB drives and laser pointers and finger scanners no and way. stuff. Yeah. Which I totally think, like, you know, they're That's trying to stay relevant. That's such a millennial fucking <laughs> Swiss Army knife. But I would love to have times. a USB stick on a Swiss Army knife. Hell yeah. You know, for when you got to cut stuff and then you got to transfer data. <laughs> Hi. So, I believe the corkscrew that's on the Swiss Army knife was always intended to be a corkscrew, but I actually learned a bit about the history of the corkscrew. Oh, boy. And how that was invented. They were originally known as gunworms, and they were used to remove bullets that became lodged in gun barrels. Oh, boy. Wine corks at the time were usually left partly sticking out of the bottle so, so somebody would out. physically pull it. 
but a lot of people push them in too far. Someone realized that gunworms work for getting stuck corks out, and the rest was history. Of course. But I guess a lot of soldiers ended up in a situation where they needed their gunworms in battle, and then they found that their family had borrowed them. <laughs> He'll never need this. I know. Can you imagine that moment where it's like, my gun's jammed, where's my gunworm? And then you just like cut to the family, I mean, like opening a bottle of wine, like, ah, oh, this is the best invention. Jeff, I uh, I wanted to learn some stuff about animatronics, right? Because oh there's a lot of animatronics in this movie. Yeah, $30,000 a gremlin. That's right. Little did I know that I was going to be strolling down a huge, deep, dark memory lane of Chuck E. Cheese. Fuck yes! It's not dark. Why really, did I say it's dark? Well, it's, it's the they're, best. Because they're, they're creepy. I, I mean, they're <laughs> creepy, but it's also just, oh man. I, it was like, it was, yeah, it was an existential time. Oh, I'm so glad that yeah. you, because with animatronics, it could go anywhere, but it has to go to Chuck E. Cheese. It has to go. I'm really glad. It has to go. We're children of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. This was our fucking bread and butter. I can't tell you how many birthday parties I had I was going to say, my fifth birthday party. Yeah, only yeah. fifth? Oh, I you. I remember that one, right. but you know. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> it was more than that. <laughs> oh, you know, as like a, a lower middle class suburban kid, it was like, that was the, ooh, ah, yeah. yeah, you know. Gotta get that pizza, get that, those video games. Totally, get that, get that gaming in. Well, anyway, so I don't know if you guys have recently heard that Chuck E. Cheese and the Pizza Time Players is actually breaking up. Where it's a new, <laughs> it's a new millennium. It's a new time. People are not as excited about the Beatle mania is players. over. Yeah. The pizza time mania. Yeah. But let's, okay, so I'm sorry. I'm assuming that everybody knows who Chuck E. Cheese is, but maybe some of our worldwide fans don't yeah, know. that's a good question. So Chuck E. Cheese was this, like, giant rat puppet guy with a New York accent originally. Back in the day, he had a New York accent. But he had this, like, this band of animatronic pals that, like, would sing and shake their mechanical little animatronic limbs mm -hmm. on a stage in the middle of this cheesy, literally and figuratively yeah. cheesy pizza <laughs> restaurant where there's also arcade games, You're right? You're eating an and a band of monsters comes right. out and animatronically plays yeah. you. Terrible pizza. Happy then birthday. you get this. Yeah. Then you get this show. They sing to you. You got you got Chuck E. Cheese on the side being like, hey, oh, Bobby, beep, boop, boo. He's just like chatting along, <laughs> and you know the rest is history. Hey, so, I'm walking over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to when this all began. There's okay. a lot of crossing over. There's a lot of different players in this. And this really just opened my world to... This is this is deeper than Chuck E. Cheese, right? The course of history has been changed, guys. <laughs> Let's go all the way back to 1972. Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney, they founded a video game company called Atari. Atari. And they released Pong, which was the world's first popular arcade game. Mm -hmm. The next year, Aaron Fector different guy he graduated college at the age of 19 in the middle of an oil crisis and he had this idea for a fuel efficient car that he thought could revolutionize the auto industry and then he founded an electronics company called creative engineering to try to manufacture this this car was actually modeled after a go-kart incidentally mm. now so it's an electric powered car like an early version yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, an electric go-kart, exactly. So while seeking out projects to raise capital for the development of this car, Fector received a commission to build his first animatronic. He decides to abandon his fuel-efficient car to make it his mission to build a full animatronic band. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it already? I'm like, yes! Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Just the personalities involved in this. Because <laughs> yeah. Fector later said... 
quote, some people say I'm a puppeteer, some people say I'm unemployed, but really what I am is an inventor. <laughs> I was going to say both. Yeah. <laughs> inventor kind of fits both. It's the yeah, Venn diagram. Yeah. Inventor's yeah. the center slice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then in 1976, Bushnell and Dabney, the Atari guys, they end up selling Atari to Warner Communications. Now, one of the concepts that was purchased in the transfer is a pizza restaurant that doubles as an entertainment venue, and most importantly to Atari, a family arcade. Whoa. Yeah. Now, shortly before the acquisition... <laughs> that was like some of the IP that was in the acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a pizza-themed restaurant Atari, with games in yeah. it. That's so, now, shortly before the acquisition, Atari was briefly using a proto-mascot called Big Cheese <laughs> in a handful of promotional shots. <laughs> Which was a rat? Yeah. I don't, yeah. Who knows? Maybe well, it was just a big cheese. I don't know. Could have been a giant wheel of cheese. <laughs> I should have looked into what the big cheese originally was. Was he just like, a, like, hey, I'm the head honcho. I'm the big cheese. I w it wouldn't surprise me if it's a rat. I mean, rats love cheese. They love it. That's, you know, that stereotype exists for a reason. Now, meanwhile, Fector, he Fector's the go-kart guy. He invents the whack-a-mole arcade game with creative engineering. Mm. But he fails to secure the patent before the concept is reverse engineered and monetized by an early buyer. No. But in making the game, he developed the same pneumatic tubing system, which is a tubing system operated by gas or under air that mm -hmm. would make his animatronics so successful. So, so it's he fucked whack up the whack-a-mole. But he got the tubes. That's awesome. Insane, yeah. dude. So Cause he, and effect. Yeah, and he's okay. So I blew it on getting the patent on this, but I can still use this technology to do a new exactly. thing. Exactly. A it, new, you know, one door closes, thing. a window opens nearby <laughs> to the big cheese. Yep. 1977, <laughs> the first Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater opens in San Jose, California. Theater. Well, I guess it was a theater. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's the first restaurant to in integrate fast food, a video arcade, and live entertainment. I mean, it's a brilliant combination of things. Like, yeah. people want to be playing video games for a long time. They also want to eat some crappy yeah. food, get some sodas and stuff. Totally. Why wouldn't One you make shop. all the money? Yeah, you don't need to be, like, a fucking four-star, five-star restaurant. Is that how many stars? Four or Three five? Michelin stars? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's all sorts of ratings. Well, and, you know, like any... Five silico stars on Yelp. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like any Silicon Valley startup model, they basically just, like, vertically integrate Atari arcade games. Okay. So it's like a monopoly on the fucking games that the kids are playing. Because Atari's the behind this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I so didn't then, know that Atari owned dude, fucking I didn't Chuck either. E. Cheese. I didn't either. It's like, I, I bet you, like, five-year-old me is going, that's why most of the games suck. Right? <laughs> Pong? Boo! <laughs> yeah. Centipede? So, okay, the first locations animatronics were just singing portraits of Chuck E. Cheese and the gang called the Pizza Players. So these these pizza frame people would just like, pizza frame, picture frame people <laughs> would just like banter for the parents' entertainment while the kids played Atari games. I remember this. I remember fucking Chuck E. Cheese in a, in a pizza frame. This is old school, man. Picture frame. Yeah. <laughs> it's the again. pizza frame. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> but yeah, no, like... That's, but it was for the parents' enjoyment? Yeah, it wasn't? It was for, yeah, he was like hurling these one-liners at like slower members of the band, like Jasper P. Jowls and Helen Henry, which are characters that are still used today. Whoa. And then there were discontinued characters and that included Krusty the Cat, the Warblets, and Madame <laughs> Oink. Madame Oink. Yeah. And they Not still Miss had, Piggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Madame Oink. So, and then of course they'd have like a, you know, a 
guy in costume walking around like in a Chuck E. Cheese right, outfit, right? Right. <sighs> well, because at a certain point they start singing to the kids, right? It's not only I know. for the parents. I know that this is dense, but stay with no, me. Oh, I'm because with you. Of, okay, good. Because this is where it's all coming together soon, right? <laughs> so then Fector, creative electronics guy, he puts his company on the map by his groundbreaking animatronic band, the Wolfpack Five. <laughs> Now, meanwhile, Bushnell purchases the rights to Chuck E. Cheese Pizza Time Theater, and he severs ties with Atari. And so he, like, is starting to seek out new people to try to franchise this restaurant. He's like, I don't want anything to do with you, Atari. Right. Let's get some Sega games in here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's open up the floodgates. Now, enter financier and hotel franchiser Robert Brock. Hmm. Brock meets Bushnell and takes an immediate interest and he signs on to franchise Chuck E. Cheese in over 200 locations in 16 states and he expresses a wish to take its animatronics to the next level. By chance, Brock then meets Fector with his Wolfpack 5 and he recognizes the potential of like full-bodied animatronics. Like use this tech but with the IP of Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. But instead of like doing this with Bushnell from Atari, he does this with Fector. And instead of even like attempting to bring Fector over to Chuck E. Cheese, Brock just starts a whole new rival pizza chain called Showbiz Pizza. Huh. Do you remember Showbiz Pizza? No. Yeah. This was one of those that I was like, do I remember it? Or is this something I'm trying to remember? But I, I mean, feel maybe like they I- just didn't make it to New Hampshire. That's totally you possible. Know, which Chuck E. Cheese totally did. So Showbiz Pizza opens with an identical business model to Chuck E. Cheese in March of 1980. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Bushnell from Chuck E. Cheese brings a court case against Brock and Showtime over breach of contract. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole big fucking fiasco and like lasts over two years in court. But there must have been a thing where they were like, you can't monopolize the concept of having pizza and video games. Right. Like, I mean, I was probably, but I understand the breach of contract thing because he didn't fucking tell him that he was going to go do this thing. Right. He just like came up with an excuse to break their thing and yeah. then go with Fector and okay. show his pizza. So Feeling also, a little fucked over. Yeah, exactly. So then Fector, while he's on board with the showbiz pizza thing, he debuts his masterwork, The Rockafire Explosion. This is the big thing. This is the big <laughs> change the in terms of the band. Together. Yeah, the band is getting not back together, but together, together for the first, for the first time. time. Yeah. So this is like a full, you know, it's like a customizable band. And it's, of course, modeled after the, the Wolfpack Five. But they start to like meld the two. Like that some of the same characters from Chuck E. Cheese with okay. some of these new characters. Some of the characters in this band included Fats Geronimo, Duke LaRue, <laughs> Mitzi Mozzarella, Ralph DeWolf, and Billy Bob Broccoli, which was a nod to Robert Brock. Yes. <laughs> Billy Bob Broccoli. <laughs> yeah. Was Broccoli Pizza a big hit on the fucking place? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Well, they spelled it B-R-O-C-K-L-E, so that's totally fine. <laughs> but like Showbiz also tried to like, create an edge for themselves because they also added a room where moms could go and watch soap operas. Oh, my God. I know. So on the it's nose. Four moms. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, let's oh, let's jump forward. <laughs> something gross about that. Yeah, I know. I was like, I get what you're trying to do. It's the adults versus the kids, but it's like well, there's so many assumptions I there. I went to this place that was like a, a fun land called Discovery Zone. and it oh, was I like, remember Discovery Yeah, Zone. and there were ball pits and all sorts of stuff. And then I remembered that there was a quiet room. For the really? parents, that's that right. where like they could go in and just not just have, have this fucking noise of child. all of these kids screaming. <laughs> exactly, and it's like a weirdly misogynist version of that. Totally, it's like let the mothers <laughs> sit and watch their soaps. Their soaps. Yeah. So okay, basically, like after this this crazy court battle, then Showbiz ends up having to pay Chuck E. Cheese fifty million dollars. So they kind of Chuck E. Cheese is like, okay, okay we're gonna. They won it. Yeah, they totally did. But then in 1983, Atari and the video game industry was collapsing. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, the 
expansion really halted in these chains when you're only relying on Atari things. So Chuck E. Cheese ends up having to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Mm. Like there's like all this crazy back and forth and rebranding and shit. So and Chuck it's, E. Cheese gets bought by Showbiz and then Showbiz uses the Chuck E. Cheese brand? Well, yeah. So Showbiz was supposed to give money to Chuck E. Cheese, but because then after that, the video game industry collapsed. So mm-hmm. then Chuck E. Cheese got fucked. And I guess Showbiz had enough money to be able to, you know, buy up man chuck e cheese isn't that fucking crazy wow you know by 1992 the name of every remaining location that i'm just jumping ahead because there's yeah. a lot of back and forth or whatever no, no, but no. by 92 chuck e cheese was prevailing and all of the locations were changed to chuck e cheese and unfortunately the rock of fire explosion their skeletons are refurbished with another band called munch's make-believe band <laughs> which was like a stage adaptation of the old framed animatronics that were used in the original like Picture frames. Okay. And they change it from him wearing a suit to them him wearing like, you know, a purple t-shirt and backwards hat. That's (laughs) when I started to check out because like when I was a kid, it was the Joyzy Rat kind of thing. And then by the late 90s, that's when they were making a more like, you know, 90s in your face kind of (laughs) Yeah, it's like that Simpsons episode where like Homer becomes the poochie of from oh, yeah. itchy and scratchy and he's like i'm the cool dog and it's like they're turning chucky into <laughs> totally that. in wild in your face <laughs> yeah. oh my god well okay we'll we'll round this all out by also saying that there was a documentary called the rock of fire explosion that was released in 2008 and it goes through all of this and i feel you and i should watch it someday. yeah point. i definitely want to see yeah that. but like then what's cool to remember too is a lot of these characters from the band have been like found and refurbished and there's like YouTube videos of people reprogramming them to sing, oh. you know, like uh, Bubba Sparks' Miss New Booty on YouTube. There's like that <laughs> went viral and stuff. So it's an opportunity to introduce like a whole new generation to this band. And I think we're also living in this crazy nostalgia time where, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, kids of today are not pleased by animatronics like they have way too high of expectations for their entertainment but for us we're like oh man i, I fucking love those little well, uncanny valley machines do you have you heard of the game five nights at freddy's yeah 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 this is a That's really like, terrifying game. it's a game about like a haunted group of animatronics right yeah it's about like you play as like a security officer that's supposed to spend the night at this place called like freddy's pizza or yeah. something where like freddy is basically it's like Chuck Chuck Cheese. right but all of the animatronics are are like old and kind of like half of their eyes don't work and stuff and then they come alive at night and you have to like be monitoring them and seeing where they move and it's a terrifying game to play. Right. But what's cool about it is because like that move or that game was popularized by like PewDiePie and shit and so it basically like introduced a whole new generation to not specifically Chuck E. Cheese but that concept and then Mm -hmm. in coupling with all of the you know the viral YouTube videos and shit it's like hey we actually like this concept. This is pretty cool. But you know, these days they're now they've announced that obviously the band is breaking up and they have like CG Chucky. E. Are they going solo running around? Are they doing their own album? <laughs> Probably. They, I was reading that fucking CeeLo Green invited the Rock of Fire explosion to perform with him in Las Vegas. That would Isn't be. That I would awesome. love to do that. If yeah. I was like, I had a it, show like that. I'd be totally. Like, get People are like, back band. Band. it's very, you know, it's very a moment in time, especially mm-hmm. for our generation. You can totally understand why be like, let's, Bring these motherfuckers back, but... Well, yeah. Dave and Buster's is still around, and they have arcades and food, but what they don't have is the fucking animatronics, and they right. gotta bring it back. I know. I'm gonna call Dave. <laughs> Tell him, get Buster on the line, because I got an idea. Science.
Did you have any favorite lines? I did not have any favorite lines. I I had when the guy is like, with Mogwai comes great responsibility. Mm. I was like, not great power, but with Mogwai. <laughs> what was Mogwai again? I thought that was like the evil. No, Mogwai is the name of the oh. non-gremlin Giz- gremlin. Right. Okay, the good gremlin. Yeah, like before Gizmo. they are turned into, mm. when they're furry things, they're called Mogwai, and right. then they turn into gremlins. That's right, of course. And then at the end, he comes back and he's like, you do with Mogwai what you do with all of nature's gifts. And it's like, metaphor city. Yeah, exactly. That's the moment, to, like the revealing of the mirror to yourself. <laughs> yeah. well, we kept saying, we're like, what is the purpose of Gizmo? Like, they just knew that they needed to keep him around. Like, he didn't really do much. It was just like, if you only have the bad gremlins without the adorable beautifulness yeah. of Gizmo, then it's... Well, I did read that an original version of the script, Gizmo became Spike, the bad gremlin. Oh, right. And so Spielberg basically decided that Gizmo was too cute to not be in the whole movie. Yeah. And so they created this other Spike and then had, or Stripe was his name. Right. And then sure. they didn't know what to do with Gizmo, Gizmo for the rest of the yeah. movie. So he just kind of like is in a backpack. He hung out, but it's clear that he was just too cute to boot. Yeah. <laughs> too cute to boot. Not too cool for school. Too cute, the boot. Anyway, that was fun. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you for joining. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we're doing The Abyss. Oh, my God. We just watched it yesterday, y'all. That was fucking epic. I'd never seen it. So fucking good, that movie. In the meantime, get in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Oh That's a Thing. All the social medias at Oh That's a Thing. I'm at It's a Joy Mia on Instagram, Twitter. And I'm at Jeffrey Ekman. And we will see you all next week. See y'all soon. Bye. Bye.